Welcome to Breaking Mayberry, the show that explains why your parents' brains are broken through watching black and white television. I'm your host, Dan Ludwig. I'm your other host, Marty Schneider, and I hate you so much. <laughs> I'm never I letting you do the intro again. <laughs> I could have done more Ira Glass on that. Uh, Dan- Dan's doing the intro this time because <laughs> I have a cold, and I am like 47% Sudafed right now. Uh, every every uh, podcast has an episode where one of the hosts it really shouldn't be doing this, and and apparently this one's ours. I will try to like edit out all of my coughs and phlegm and stuff, but I make no promises. We need one of the uh, the the cough buttons where you like hit it when you when you make a, a disgusting bodily function noise. I mean, I could just hit mute. That is an option. I mean, if you want to be lo-fi about it. So, did you say who you are, or just that you hate me? Yeah, I'm I'm Marty Schneider. We're, welcome to Breaking Mayberry. If you've never seen the show before, we uh, we watch the Andy Griffith show, and we figure stuff out about the world. Yes, if you've never seen our podcast before. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> this is going to go great. I'm really optimistic about the energy we're bringing into the studio today. If you want to see us do this live, you could see our podcast. Theoretically, January 27th at South Street Cinema and here in beautiful Philadelphia, we are doing our first ever live show. I think we're going to go back and play one of our hits from season one and uh, review that. But if you are uh, in Philadelphia last weekend of January, please come by. Uh, the uh, admission is free, but it's all part of a fundraiser. Uh, it's part of the 2019 Everything is Awesome slash Headstrong Comedy Foundation uh, Festival. So it's us and a bunch of other podcasters. There's four locations all around the city. Uh, all going to be a good time. And you can watch us try to do this uh, in one of the only family-friendly venues that is available there. Uh, It'll have this exact level of animosity. This this all does go to a good cause. It goes to the Headstrong Foundation, which helps pay for things that, say, insurance doesn't pay for, and to make cancer patients' lives a little bit easier and a little bit better. So we're happy to help with that. Again, admission's free, but we'll have donation pages uh, in all of our uh, show notes and whatnot. So we got that part out of the way. Uh, yeah, come- yeah. there's our plug. There's yeah. our plug. I think we can just go right into today's episode. Yeah, I don't think we have any other like housekeeping to do. Yeah, let's get into this. I, I would say this is a banger of an episode. I think this one, this is one of the better ones recently, right? It's it's a weird episode. I have a lot to say about like the format of this. Number one, uh, I looked and the guy who wrote this, Paul Henning, not one of our normal uh, writers, never wrote another episode of the Andy Griffith Show. Right. Uh, d- did write some screenplays in the '60s. Got an Academy Award nomination. He wrote the movie Bedtime Story in 1964, which I've never heard of, but apparently it was rewritten uh, and adapted. It became the film Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I love. What? So, yeah. Okay. So this guy this guy wrote the script that Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is based off. That could not sound like a more different, just the name Bedtime Story, I would not associate with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at all. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. This I, I wonder kind of how much this guy actually wrote this script, though. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about my, my thing with the format of this episode. This episode comes across a little bit more like sketch comedy than a lot of the other ones. It feels like there were just a bunch of bits that the writer's room wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and and they just kind of tossed them all in. It, fe- it feels like they wanted to do the bank bit. They wanted to do the... Uh, the, the carpet? Hike and, which we'll talk about. Oh my about. god, are we going to They wanted to do Barney's song. Uh, but it, fe- it feels like they just had like a loose version of a story to just go from bit to bit on. And that's fine with me. Because honestly, Andy Andy Griffith and Don Knotts in real life were both actually like vaudeville guys, yeah. so this plays to the strength. I mean, it does lot. have a pretty tight, overarching narrative. Like it has a, it has a neat little arc to it. I think more so. There's the it's the most intrigue that an episode of the Andy Griffith Show I, I think has. Like 
there is a a mid act twist uh that i don't think any of like, have, has there been a twist in this show before has have things ever been not what they seemed yes and no cuz every single episode is like person from the outside world comes in and they turn out to be secretly evil or something. Oh no, sorry. There was the there were the swinger couple before. There have been people oh, operating under true. false identities. All right, let's go ahead and actually explain the episode we're talking yeah. about. We are talking about season two, episode seven, originally aired November twentieth, nineteen sixty one. Crime free Mayberry by guy who owns four pairs of Dockers, Bob Sweeney. Crime boss assassinated in the first five minutes of the movie, Bob Sweeney. <laughs> And written by a guy named Paul Henning, who we just mentioned. And here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Two crooks posing as an FBI agent and a reporter create a ruse in Mayberry so that they can rob the town bank. God damn it, Wikipedia. Give away the twist in the first syllable. Yeah, really, really. Bruce Willis, the ghost, hangs out with a child. Like, god damn it. Get to the end of the fucking sentence first. A billionaire cries for his sled, Rosebud. (laughs) A a sled, which has a billionaire. (laughs) Thanks, Wikipedia. Dan, go ahead and open up up for us. Tell us uh, the the intro. Okay, so it opens in the jail, and Andy is singing. uh, Andy is playing the guitar for Otis. The song he's playing is... Uh, It's John Henry's Hammer, or The Legend of John Henry. Yeah. Or one of the many John Henry songs. By the way, uh, number one, I really like that. That's one of my favorite folk songs, so I was really excited for this. Uh, number two, we're not, like, at the point where we're gonna, like, show black people or hear black people speak, but we'll sing about black folk heroes. That's something, I, I guess. I think it was only okay to talk about John Henry back then because he fucking dies. Like... Like, I think oh, you yeah, can only yeah. have a song. We are we're spoiling stuff a lot, uh. But you can only have a song about a black person back then if like he he does an awesome thing, but doing the awesome thing has to fucking kill him. Yeah, like, spoiler alert for the legend of John Henry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys, I'm really I'm trying my best. I'm oh god, we're gonna we're gonna get tweeted at for that. Uh, people are gonna be like, I'm just gonna listen to that song. If you do, you should definitely listen to the uh, the Drive By Truckers one. That's one. Oh of yeah, that yeah. song rules. Uh, okay, uh, so Andy is doing a decidedly not Drive By Truckers version of this song. It's still good. Andy's doing it's a still good, pretty good job of it. And, uh, and Otis is definitely enjoying the, himself. Yeah, he's just kind of yeah. like hanging out, mildly drunk in the jail cell, just sort of tapping along. Um, Barney immediately enters and is a bitch uh i swear this is i think i hate barney every a little more every episode this is the sharpest increase that has happened so far i he is the at like he he finds new and fascinating ways of being the goddamn worst as a fucking character every single time uh he he bursts in and he's like you know something's wrong because Otis actually asks him to play his harmonica, and he doesn't take him up on it. Yeah! Otis even says, Barney, please play a song on your harmonica, and Barney, who'd normally be like, I'm whipping this motherfucker out, is just like, no! No! You don't deserve my harmonica! He's gonna realize that someone asked him to play the harmonica, like, four days later, and just shoot up in bed and just go, no! Finally! Like, in the great, like, like irony of... Uh, that th- th- someone finally wanted to hear his harmonica and he was too much of a fuck face to play for them. Barney's being real, like, snippy and, and pissy. And uh, he's, he kicks Otis out, basically. He's just like, Otis, are you sober enough to leave? Can you get out of here, please? And there's a great line where Andy says, like, Otis, you think you're uh, you're ready enough for the world? And Otis goes, I think I am, Andy, but I don't know if the world is ready for me. Ha-cha-cha-cha! Yeah, it... If Otis wasn't a goddamn wife beater, he would be the best character on the show. Hal Smith, the guy who plays Otis, has two amazing moments in this episode. That's one of them, and the other one comes up later. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, God, he, I I love him. I love him. I just, I want to put, like, a little asterisk. Like, by the way, we know that Otis hits his wife. Like, Do you, do you think we can just, like, just for the sake of having some brief shimmer of light in this show, do you think we can just forget that Otis beats his wife in, like, the third episode? Could we just, like... I mean, 
that was the first appearance of Otis, and like TV shows forget details about their characters from the first appearance all the time. So like, as like long how, as it never gets mentioned again. Yeah, like how they just straight up disappeared characters on Saved by the Bell and shit. Like we know we know he's a bad person, but we need this. Let's just kind of repress that memory that Otis is a living anim- uh, avatar of uh, gender animosity. Barney, or so Andy's like, well, you don't have to leave. Uh, you can, you want a cup of coffee? Because as we all know, the jail is just a clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. Otis is just like, nope, I better not. Thanks for letting me sleep it off. And I was kind of wondering, like, better not what? Have coffee? Whatever. He leaves. Uh, better not be around Barney for another second. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably it. So uh, Andy's asking, what, what's your problem? Why are you so mad? Uh, he says, uh, you're as touchy as an old satin hen, which, all right, again, the, the animal metaphors are just, I feel like they just say adjective and then animal. And I think it's, I think it's sitting hen, Dan. Sitting I think it's oh, shit. I fucked sitting, up my like, notes. Like a, like, like, a hit, like a hen that is sitting on some eggs. That, I fucked up my notes. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that makes more sense it still doesn't make sense because are sitting hens ornery why are particularly i think i think so because they're they're protecting their eggs so they'll they'll like peck at you and shit okay i guess yeah no the the animal metaphors are always really weird they they definitely they definitely hit a different audience than we are like the, uh, yeah, it's it's it, there's always a laugh track like it's a joke, but it's never a pun or a, like like a, a particular image. It's just like, oh, you're an old blank adjective bull. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. Oh man, you are as as needy as a chubby aardvark. You're as sly as a as as a grease daughter. Like they just say. Shit, like just animal shit, and the, the the laugh track goes off, and I think just people's brains just kind of like slide over it. Like, oh yes, animal, yeah, that's, laughter. That was a that's joke. Definitely a thing. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Barty, Barty is just like he's mad about the folk songs. He's like, why, why are you singing those stupid songs? They're hick songs. It's a hick town. I'm a hick deputy. This is a hick jail. I'm doing a. He like throws a little fit again. He's and, being really uh, mean. Like yeah, he's being a dick. Like, why do you like those songs? And Andy takes it in stride. He's just like, well, they're folk songs. Like, people do brave things. Pe- other people sing about them. That's how folk songs work. And I guess like that's not really what Barney meant, but it's important be- that we remember that because that becomes a theme later in the episode. Barney just kind of like berates him a little bit, and then Andy asks why he's being pissy, and. He says that uh, they he's mad because they don't have equipment. Uh, yeah, he, I guess he saw the uh, the state police building in Mount Pilot once again. Barney's like, "We should have a crime lab. We we don't have like fingerprint equipment. We don't have like state of the art. We don't have new rifles or whatever." He's just sort of uh, fit. He because says they don't. One of the things is like we don't even have a chopper. So he's mad that they don't have a helicopter. I, which uh, normally like a couple like. 15 years ago, this would not be very alarming or, or very upsetting thing to hear, but it is a really weird omen for like rural police militarization. <laughs> like, yeah, I wanted to get into that. A- Andy says, makes fun of me, he says, well, we ain't got guided missiles either, but I don't think we need them. And I think it's like a difference in the perception, really, of like small town cops and big town cops now and then. Yeah. Because. Every small town cop I've ever known or heard about would be like would be completely on Barney's side. Yeah, we definitely need guided missiles. Yeah, no. these meth labs aren't gonna blow up themselves. They accidentally predicted something that that totally happened because they were like, <laughs> "Wouldn't it be crazy if a bunch of weak chin small town cops to uh to overcome an inferiority complex they had just uh you know got their hands on a shitload of military hardware? That would be crazy if they wanted to do that so desperately that they were willing to burn down everything." Anyway, on to the next joke about a funny looking squirrel like <laughs> my my hometown has 7000 people and it has a military grade armored truck yeah. armored vehicle 
in my town of 7,000 people. Oh my god. My little I, 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 town of, of, uh, of like just, like just from a little like sleepy Massachusetts suburb has a fleet of Humvees, like black Humvees that you could drive through Baghdad. Why? Why? I look, look, I lied earlier. The meth labs will blow themselves up. It's something that meth labs do pretty regularly. <laughs> you don't need that. No. No, absolutely not. It's, I mean, it's all this, I mean, it, it is, again, it's sort of what makes Barney so upsetting is he's not just a shitty character. He's such an eerie, eerily predictive character. Like, right, they right. saw all of this coming and they did it as a cartoon character. We <laughs> knew it was going to come and we did nothing to stop it. Yeah, no, they were... Like, they, they looked around and they were like, huh, there sure are a bunch of limp-wristed men with with real, just just a need to project their tiny dicks onto guns a lot. Like, and, and, and they were just like, well, that sure is a wacky thing that we can ignore for 30 years without consequence. Andy says, like, listen, Barney, you get this way every now and then. Which I was happy about, because at least the show admits that they've done this bit a billion times. Yeah. Enter the mayor! <laughs> the mayor! <laughs> it- the mayor enters with uh, with this new guy, an old man in a black hat. Uh, It's a small detail, and unless you've seen the episode, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I gotta point something out. Mm-hmm. What is with the mayor's hat? The mayor is wearing a very stupid hat. It is somewhere, It's the brim isn't quite wide enough to be a cowboy hat, but it's not small enough to be a fedora, and I know because there's a man in a fedora right next to him, it's like a fedora had sex with a cowboy hat, and they produce a child that disappointed both of them. It's a stupid hat! The main, do you think, is it, is it a very small cowboy hat, or is it a very big fedora? Like, it, it's somewhere, it's a dumb hat. Yeah. That's, that's all I gotta say about it. Listen. The mayor comes in, he's wearing a stupid hat, move on. <laughs> he, the, I mean, it's, again, they're just staying true to the character because the mayor would absolutely have a very stupid hat. He's, you know what, you know what? It's a hat that would make sense on a grown man, which the mayor is not. It, it would look fine if it was a dude who was like, I don't know, five foot ten. I would honestly <laughs> expect the mayor to come in in like a little Peter Pan hat that he had made out of felt. Like, I mean, he's basically a fucking Playmobil character, like that you put a, a fucking Humphrey Bogart cap on. So you know, it's gonna look silly. He he looks like he should be on Nick Junior teaching someone to read at all times. So it it, it makes sense for him to have a stupid idiot hat. Uh, yeah. All right, so, so I, I had to get off my chest. Yeah, no. He, uh, so he's the mayor is there in his stupid hat with the FBI agent. Uh, I'm honest. I'm actually going to be honest with you. I'm a little mad that you noticed the mayor's stupid hat and I didn't, since that's kind of my wheelhouse. I I can't believe that got past me. It's going to nag at me for the remainder of the episode. But whatever. Uh, just going to blast past it. I'm going to internalize that that simmering resentment. Uh, he comes in with Frank Perkins of the FBI, who is here to talk about to Andy and Barney about the raid of crime in Mayberry, which, uh, Barney immediately starts to use as an opportunity to demand more military hardware. Uh, and Andy shushes him and Frank Perkins says that the raid of, uh, of crime in Mayberry. And then the mayor and Trump goes like, uh, it's the lowest in the whole god blame country. It's the lowest in the god blame country. Yeah, they send him. They send him along to like congratulate. Send him to like congratulate them. Send congratulations from from Mister Hoover. Uh, well, J. Edgar himself. Yeah. Andy immediately begins to say, "Well, listen, we don't. I mean, we're just lucky, right? It's the community. Of course, Barney, being Barney, jumps in to take all of the credit." Barney says, "Well, he, he immediately cuts him off and says, well, Andy." You're going to miss your barber's shop appointment. Get the fuck out of here. And Andy's like, what are you talking about? And then surprisingly, the mayor is like, yes, I agree. You need to go to the barber shop, which I'm not sure if it's the mayor being like, we need someone to brag. Or if the mayor is like, someone suggested a thing. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. I'm part of this <laughs> conversation. 
Because I too am here. <laughs> so I have authority. Someone has given another person an order. I need to concur, so I'm the boss. Andy, go to the barber shop. His his reasoning there is that there's going to be a certain level of uh journalism or a certain level of uh of interest. Here's something I don't understand about this episode. Yeah. Right? Because most of this is bullshit. Most mm-hmm. of this is not true. Yeah. However, did Mayberry actually, like, is Mayberry actually have the lowest crime rate in the country? Uh, and then as later on, uh, the mayor explains, lowest crime rate for a town its size. Is yeah. that true? Because another reporter showed up in the next scene. Of uh, What I'm wondering is, since we've already got the spoiler alert out, these two crooks, I wonder if they found, like, this statistic, which was true. And then they were like, well, these two are fucking idiots, clearly. We can go to this town that has no crime, and we can do crime because they've never seen crime. So they must have ID'd, because Mayberry is basically constantly bragging about how low its crime rate is, because uh, they keep all of their crime way the fuck out in the woods and don't report crime that happens on Main Street. The, that was the thing. Yeah, because they lie. Yeah. It's a lie. Yeah, they're pa- it is feasible because they're padding their numbers. Uh, they're not reporting crimes so that their crime rate is low. So I think the crooks just identified something that was either A, there, or B, feasible. Like, they, they, they sort of identified the town's con and tried to con their con. Right, right. Like, it, we would have gotten away with it too if Andy Taylor wasn't a complete liar. Yeah, if Andy Taylor wasn't the superior con man, it's this is an old timey con off. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of our another uh, more evidence to the theory that Andy uh, is in fact a con man who became a sheriff in a small town while he was laying low. Oh, so uh, real quick, can I say what my theory, like my operating theory, is about Andy Taylor's con man status? Yes, please. Right. Please update us on yeah. this on this working theory. So Andy Taylor was a complete uh like like con man scumbag before the war. Like he was he was out grifting people and he was an absentee father to Opie, and then he went away to the war and he like led a squadron and was a was like the big war hero that they always talk about him being, and sort of got straight and came back and decided to like like basically go straight to raise his son whose mom died and the the show is basically him applying the 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 pre-war con man smarts to being a cop as he tries to go straight so oh yeah that sounds awesome that makes this show fucking rule i like your your theory yeah no that's 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 basically the the headcanon i use to make this show way fucking cooler uh but yeah so he's in an he's in a con off but I think basically they I the the two crooks identified that Mayberry is lying about their crime statistics and figured that they could basically pull one over on the town by pretending to be conned as the FBI. So that's the move. We're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about the next scene in the barbershop. Let's talk about this bit. Oh my god. Yeah, so this bit is so fucking confusing. But sh- should we just like play a clip of it, or should we explain? I'll, I'll 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 play the clip here. I'll yeah. play the clip here. I'm telling you the truth, Floyd. That there was the fightingest critter I ever did tangle with. He wasn't about to be caught. No, oh, they're strong <laughs> those carps. And me, yes, <laughs> there. Well, it says, Mister Carp, you have met your match. And then, oh, uh, I do. Well, Mayor Pike, Miss Williamson, this is our sheriff Andy Taylor, and our barber Floyd Lawson. I, uh, I do. How do you do? Uh, Miss Williamson writes for the newspaper over at the state capitol. Perhaps you read my column, Meandering with Margaret. <laughs> well, if you excuse me a second, I have something to check up on. <clears throat> well, please do go on with that thrilling exploit you were telling Mr. Lawson. Oh, well, uh, uh, where was I? Well, you were just saying, Mr. Cop, you have met your match. Oh, yes. <clears throat> well, old Carp, he didn't think so. No. <laughs> no, no. The closer I come to pulling him in, while well, the scrappier he got. <laughs> well, finally, I just reached down and picked up an axe and wham, right between the eyes. <laughs> you struck him with an axe? The blunt side stuff. Oh, they're tough, those carps. <laughs> oh, I tell you. <laughs> what did you do then? 
I strung him up and had my picture took with him. You strung him up right then and there? Oh, yes, ma'am. There was a big oak tree with, with a good stout limb, oh, I reckon seven, eight feet off the ground, and I throwed a rope across it and, and pulled him up, and Barney, that's my deputy, he took my picture standing there beside of him, grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> it took me about all the strength I had to pull that carp up where he cleared the ground. Well, they're big, those carps. Yeah. I can't believe it. Well, I got a picture here. If... Oh, no, no, please. <laughs> you killed him? Well, yes, ma'am. Around these parts, we figure we're doing folks a favor when we kill a car. They're awful nuisance. Pushy. They're awful pushy. Oh, nobody likes a car. Well, all right. They may be an undesirable element, but good heavens, you can't just go around killing them. I get wrong, Miss Williamson. Mayor Pike, do you know that man killed a cop in cold blood? Oh, I expect Andy's killed many a car. I hope it gets rid of a lot more of them. We just don't like them around here. Well... I'm going home where this sort of thing could never happen. You mean you wouldn't kill a carp where you come from? Of course not. Any more than we'd kill a pike. <laughs> What's wrong with her? <laughs> well, that's city folks for you. If it's to study, they couldn't pick two ornery or fish to protect. Before we, like, analyze this clip too much, two things I want to point out. Number one... This scene has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Like, it, it never comes up again. Completely <laughs> divergent. Completely just like it's a sh- like it's a mad TV sketch that they just awkwardly superimpose in because they have, what, five minutes to kill? Yeah, nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Nothing. T- it never comes up again. This woman's never seen again. They just had a lynching joke, a lynching who's on first racist laurel and hardy just rolled in with a a fucking wacky misunderstanding lynching joke they've had this in their back pocket for like nine months and they're like we're never going to get a better opportunity to use this absolute fire lynching joke that we're sitting on and for this joke to work at all for it to really land they have to remind you that the mayor's name is mayor pike Twice. I don't even know if the mayor had a last name before this. He was always just the mayor. The mayor. <laughs> you know they've been sitting on this for so long. Like, oh, Pike is a last name. Carp could also be a last name. You murder Carp. Guys. <laughs> guys. You know what? We've been looking for that hot lynching joke. Well, boy, howdy, do I have one for us. Gotta get in on that hot lynching craze the kids are doing these days. <laughs> the honeymooners just dropped an absolute fire lynching joke. We gotta get in on this. And so this joke is so <laughs> weird and structured so oddly that, Dan, we were talking about this before. You had trouble parsing it. You thought there was an extra layer that there actually wasn't, but I don't blame you for it. Yeah, so they say, so the initial setup is that Carp is a last name. He calls him Mr. Carp. But then they proceed to refer to Carp in such a weird way for the remaining thing that it makes it sound like Carp is a type of person, not the last name for a person. So they kind of lose track of the joke. But the way they did that sort of gaslit me into thinking that Carp was like a weird old timey slur that we've just lost. Like, like an obsolete slur. And it, like, it drove me insane to the point that for a really long time, I was absolutely certain that like, carp Cause Pike meant did. something You, you like Googled that. it, right? Pike like, like if, Yeah. Well, no, I also looked it up and Pike is also like an old timey, like a 1920s term for a jerk. It, it's a, it's a fucking synonym for it. So that made me think that maybe carp was also a racial slur. So like, I ended up at one point Googling carp dot 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 slur question mark dot 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 is it one dot 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 thank you google nothing absolute crickets like so that's a thing that's in my google search history forever so like the fbi agent that has to monitor me is just like boss he's getting weird he's trying to figure out fish slurs over here we're i i need to escalate this Everything about this is so strange. Uh, uh, so so this woman leaves. Opie enters and yells for his like one scene. Yeah, they really like. I, Hello, Pa. They had it. In- You're a hero. We canceled school. <laughs> they declared a holiday because of you. Hello, Father. 
I'm an adorable vehicle for exposition. And, and like half the episodes, they have nothing for Opie to do. So they just give him exposition to scream at the top of his lungs. So they're just going to like have him come in and just yell like, this character's wife died a few years ago. Goodbye. I'm Ron Howard. So Andy is trying to refuse. The mayor wants to give him a medal. Uh, and Andy's trying to refuse it. They're going to have a big holiday. They're going to have a big thing to honor Andy and Barney for their work. And Andy keeps saying, we haven't done anything. Yeah. Please stop. I speak for me and Barney when I say we don't want medals. You can figure out where this is going. Smash cut to Barney looking over some medals. Hard smash cut to Barney going, do you have any that are bigger? So it's actually probably one of the most well-constructed jokes in the entire show so far. Like they really, it's it's the first time they've used a smash cut good. It is, yeah, it is yeah. kind of like cool to watch the show and just kind of watch basic jokes develop. Like they're figuring out extremely like rudimentary bits in real time. Barney is asking about metals. He says he doesn't want anything gaudy, just solid gold. The guy is basically basically reveals that he's not with the FBI or anything. He's just the town's dude that makes metals. And Barney has hired him to come in and make him a medal. Right, yeah. It's, it's like the guy who owns the trophy shop, basically. Yeah, exactly. So Barney's doing stolen valor in addition to this. He, he's like that creepy sheriff. We should point out that the FBI guy has been here the entire time. Fred Jenkins has been sitting there. And then he's joined by another guy, Joe Layton from the Intercontinental News. Comes in with his uh, with his camera whatnot. Barney is... Bra- by the way, Barney brags about his gun twice in this. Yeah. Uh, there's a really creepy line where he tells the FBI agent that there's three reasons why crime is so low in Mayberry. There's Andy, there's him... And then he taps his gun and says, and baby, it makes three. The thing that's crazy about this episode is that uh, he kicks Andy out of the out of the jail because Andy is saying normal reasons why uh, why the the crime in the town is so low. And Andy's like, and Barney's like, get out of here, get out of here. So, you know, the real reason that uh, that crime is so low, I'm murdering people. FBI yeah. agent like he's just like every time he's left alone with the FBI agent, he's like here's another crime I've committed like every two seconds like if anyone looks like they're going to do crime in this city I shoot them in the face and bury them in an unmarked grave on the edge of town because I'm a tough man I'm essentially a serial killer this is what I'm saying to you an FBI agent all right. It's really, really in Barney's favor that this guy's lying about being FBI. He would go to jail so much. He'd be like, he's Barney is like twenty minutes from being like. So we're running a torture operation out of the back of the jail. We're kidnapping people and holding them hostage. This is all we're running a paramilitary torture cell out of the back. <laughs> anyway, what's up with you? Like, by the way, I'm reading the ultra-reliable Mayberry Wiki, and the way this refers to it, they always keep calling him the FBI agent as if they didn't understand the joke was that he's not really in the FBI. They call him that all the way through this description. It's very weird. Anyway, so our our, our FBI guy kicks Barney out of the jail. He's like, hey, go, go check on Sheriff Taylor. And then we get the reveal. The FBI agent is Fred Jenkins is not really an FBI agent at all. The reporter is not really a reporter. They know each other. They've come here to scope out the place, and they're going to pull off a big robbery. Yeah, he's like, what What took you so long? I thought this little runt was going to... And he specifically says, talk my arm off, which, sure. Uh, the phrase is ear. You talk your ear off, because that's what you hear shit for. Whatever. Okay. No, I heard arm, and I was like, what the... F- no, 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 no. Yeah, he says arm. The okay, phrase is all right, ear. Okay, yeah, I thought you were saying that I heard it wrong. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I must have. No. Yeah. Uh he says he says talk my arm off. I was thinking like 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 gnaw what? his arm off? What the fuck is happening? The, is this what, show what, drunk? what is going on here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the writer's room. Like they had they had finished writing the previous episode. They had written the Hobo Friend episode, and they're like, 
Okay, we gotta crank this one out. Oh shit, it's it's the 1960s, so naturally, throughout the entire time I've been writing this, we've been getting ripped on highballs. Alright, so, uh, uh, sitting hen, carp, talk my arm off, don't proof this tomorrow, we just gotta, we just gotta film it. And then the actors- Yeah, let's just, let's just roll with it. Yeah. Uh, and then the actors were like, I guess, t- the, the writers say that this is a line, so, I, I guess, talk my arm off. Uh, so, so this is the reveal. They, they are in cahoots together. They're gonna rob the bank during the big ceremony, I guess. Uh, and the next scene is, uh, Floyd shows up with a group of people that he yanked off the bus from New Orleans. Like, like the, the New Orleans bus, like, stopped so that people could take a pee. And Floyd was like, Hey, <laughs> would you like to give me money to tour a jail and meet two men that you've never met? How? And the people from the bus are just like, Sure, I guess. How is Floyd the the sketchiest person on this episode? How? It's almost impressive. Like the the, the FBI agent and the 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 photographer are somehow less sketchy than Floyd cuz he's just taking advantage of like poor tour bus people. Like they're at least preying on human ego, like like a, the sin of pride. He's just grabbing like poor, confused, like tourists, and just taking like charging them money to show them nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then also lying to them about how Andy Griffith is murdering people constantly. He's like, right, right, yeah. right. And Andy asks him to come out, uh, like, hey, can I have a word with you outside? And Floyd is just like, oh, normally if you, if Andy asks you to have a word outside, it's a duel yeah. in the streets. <laughs> but don't worry, I, he's not going to shoot me. And I'm I'm, I, I'm just like, Andy, fucking shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> he's being intolerable. Just the absolute fucking worst. Yeah, no, and, and Andy's like, hey, so you just told a bunch of people, you know, just people with uh with memories and mouths that i'm a mass murderer that i'm just gunning people down in the middle of the street so fuck you and instead he's like come on man you're being slightly rude but then again remember it's the 60s so you can do anything anything (laughs) do you think the people in the jailhouse were like all right so i'm um terrified now because apparently we're in the wild west and the sheriff is just mowing motherfuckers down this deranged barber has taken all of our money and also passports why do you need a passport to get from to get to new Orleans? i don't know i'm I'm assuming that they're all like from out of the country because otherwise why would you fall for this Barney is begins the tour and he talks about this. And this is another good example of them like doing some good smash cuts. Uh, Floyd tells Andy that Aunt B is overseeing the historical society and the tourism board. And so we go over to the mayor's office and Aunt B is like showing Andy's baby pictures, which are actually apparently actually the baby pictures of Andy Griffin. Yeah. Which is nice. Uh, and a weird so they're joke. like, we're going to, we're going to put a biography together of our two heroes and we'll sell them. It's, it's another one of those things where just like people from Mayberry don't understand what other human beings outside of Mayberry actually like. Like their plan is to just sell pictures, I guess, uh, of two dudes. Of, of two dudes. And I can't imagine they're, they're really into the idea that like out of towners will be will be into the idea of Mayberry as like a lawless hellhole where there are gunfights happening every twenty seconds. And it's very weird. It's like it's like there's no the the crime is low here, but also there are no laws. Yeah, like the crime the crime is low here because our 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 lawmen are in constant gun battles in the middle of the street. Hey, come on, tourists. Come stay at our Airbnb where there are murders constantly. It is both Pleasantville and Westworld. Andy comes in, basically, and he says, Hey, listen, this is ridiculous. You are charging people money to look at this. And everyone's like, Oh, Floyd's charging money. That's a good idea. Yeah, we should definitely be charging that money. 
And Andy's like, no, there's nothing to show but two empty cells. <laughs> Smash cut to Barney being like, well, these are our maximum security cells. There's no way to get in or out of these cells. It's the strongest cells you could have. And this is the other, like, crowning moment for Hal Smith, who plays Otis in this show. Otis fucking wanders in, stumbles in, playing the drunk that only Hal Smith can do, grabs the key, unlocks this door, lets himself back in, closes the lock, puts the key away. I don't know how this joke keeps being funny, but it is still funny every time they do it. It is 100% Hal Smith's delivery. Like, Hal Smith is, I, I think we have to give credit where credit is due. He is a transcendent actor of being drunk. It's like, amazing. It, it's the hardest thing to pretend to be because you either undersell it or oversell it. Like, you do, like, a really, like, dopey drunk. And he is, like, doing a really, like, hamish drunk person. But it's funny every single time. Barney has the line of, like, uh, get in there, killer! You're dangerous! Because he's trying to, like, uh, like save face and make it look like this is really important. And he says, like, oh, you know, these dangerous criminals just come and get in our sails because they know that as soon as they commit a crime, we'll find them. Get in there, killer! Get back! Get back away from the bars! And Otis just goes, yeah, I am a killer. I killed a pint before I came here. It's fucking, like, Otis MVPs this entire fucking episode. Just- just fucking dancing in the end zone of this episode. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this episode is so shittily written that I have to believe that Hal Smith was just doing, like, markups of his script the entire time. Like, not saying that. I'm not doing a shitty animal metaphor. I'm gonna do some savage wordplay. Fuck yeah, I'm Hal Smith. <laughs> uh, Alright, next scene is uh, basically outside on Main Street. And our two bad guys, the fake FBI agent and the fake photographer, are just talking to each other, and uh, they're just reviewing how easy it's going to be to crack the vault. I guess the photographer guy is the safe cracker, and he like yeah. went in, he looked at the at the bank, he looked at their old shitty vault, and was like, are you kidding me with this? Uh, he says <laughs> the line like, I've had beer cans give me more trouble than this. You know what's a great thing to do when you're planning a crime is to openly conspire in the middle of town with a person that you supposedly do not know and have never met before and just kind of like talk about how fucking easy this crime is going to be while people walk past you just that's some oceans 11 shit yeah no that's, clearly that's exactly that's always step three in your heist that brings us into what happens next which is super strange andy walks up he's like hello gentlemen boy i sure wish you didn't pick mayberry and they were like what you know, as the town with the lowest crime. He's he's acting as though the photographer had something to do with this decision. Uh, yeah. <laughs> boy, I, I'm really I'm really sad that the news chose this statistic for me. The writers, again, they're drunk at this point, forgot the premise of the episode. Like they forgot the fucking rules of the of the facade. They're like uh, hi guys, I wish you hadn't done this heist on us. I mean, news article. <laughs> now, here's, here's, what happens next is very important, and there's no reason for it to happen. Uh, our, our fake photographer, uh, Joe Layton, who by the way looks a little bit like, like, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Anyway. I was just gonna say. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, he looks like, he looks like an older Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, so our Dustin Hoffman looking uh, fake photographer is just like, hey, how would you like to get a picture for the paper? You know, uh, you know, the FBI, the feds shaking hands with the local sheriff. Let's do this. And so <laughs> they, they have this like moment, like, and it's an old timey camera, right? So it takes forever to take the picture and they film every second of it and it goes on forever. And then they, everybody shakes hands, whatever. He takes a picture of Andy. Uh, shaking hands with our fake FBI agent. By the way, again, if you're committing a crime, a great idea is to leave <laughs> photographic evidence that you were there. These guys are the worst criminals. Like, let's come into town. Let's do as much fanfare as possible. Let's make sure 
every single official in the town has extensive time to look at our entire faces and then let's steal a massive amount of money. They'll never identify me. They'll just get Dustin Hoffman. Oh, that's how they've survived this long. It's like a a young Dustin Hoffman has been arrested 46 (laughs) times for crimes all over the country. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is constantly getting arrested for cold cases. These guys are the shittiest criminals. This crime makes no sense. This crime makes no sense. The plan is for our fake FBI agent to get everybody in town at the meeting to, to, like, honor Barney and Andy. And he's going to give a speech. And while he's distracting them, our fake photographer, the safe breaker, is going to go crack in the safe, grab the money, basically do all of the work of the actual heist. Yeah, holy shit, holy shit, Marty. The first, like, when the when the photographer and the FBI agent first talk to each other, the FBI agent is like, these people are so fucking stupid, they didn't even ask for my FBI credentials. And now I'm like, what if they had, you idiots? <laughs> like, you're claiming to be from the biggest law enforcement agency in the country. Why is that your cover? The people they could call and the FBI would be like, that motherfucker doesn't exist. And then they run you down and arrest you. It's so dumb. Also, you don't need... You don't need to distract everybody in town. You don't need to get them all in one place together. They're always in all in one place together. Just wait till the next church picnic or whatever. You only need to distract the people who are in the bank. Just show up with clothes. Yeah, just break in at night. Just do literally anything other than this convoluted, stupid gag. It's Mayberry. All the keys are above the doors. This is the easiest town to rob in the world. Why are you going so big on it? God, holy shit, I did not realize how bad this heist is. They're so bad at this. Next level stupid. They're so stupid and bad at this. Alright, so please remember, please remember that our fake photographer took a picture of our fake FBI agent shaking hands with Andy Taylor. For no reason. There was no reason for him to do this. He could have just said, well, I'll see you later. Bye. And walked away. They were doing it to placate Andy, but it's the weirdest move because they could have just been like, hey, man, you're doing, you're awesome. They could have just said words at him. It's the weirdest move. (laughs) These guys suck so bad. (laughs) They are so bad at crime. They're so bad at crime. I was like, I didn't realize until very recently, this is the worst heist I've ever seen. It's like to do, like, to con someone out of $50, you gave them your social security number. Like, it's It's, so dumb. It's it's really weird and also, like, a huge, like, work imbalance, basically, because, like, all this FBI dude's got to do is talk. The other guy's doing all the work. I mean, the FBI dude does have to talk to Barney Fife for an extended period of time. So that, he is jumping on that grenade. We're at the ceremony now, and the mayor is speaking. He's getting like, all right, well, so proud of our, our people here. Uh, says some bullshit, says we've got the lowest crime rate. And he introduces Fred, uh, and Fred comes out, and who's our fake FBI agent. And he says, like, these are two shiny examples of American manhood. And they talk about organized crime all the time. They talk about so much. Yeah, no, so they're, 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 they continue to talk about fucking organized crime. He's like the, the, the strong-jawed uh, lawman who is incorruptible and powerful and dangerous. He'll, he, he's the great fear of, the, of organized crime. And then Barney runs up and says, we defy the mob. Like, just, just comes up and shrieks it. We defy uh, the mafia! I want to point something out, right? Like, while he's giving this speech, Barney and Andy and our fake photographer are just standing right off to the side. They are right next to him. And then with basically nothing, like, no reason or anything given, the photographer just turns around and leaves. Just bye. And he just fucks (laughs) off. And that's... Look, even if Andy hadn't figured it out by this point, if man, it's really weird for that reporter to just leave in the middle of the ceremony. Just turned around he was right next to me and now he's not so of course andy's like well that's weird and he does follow him 
Yeah, he, he's not even like, I have an excuse for leaving. He's not like, oh my, look at the time. My grandmother's insulin needs to be injected. Or like, like, oh no, I'm getting a phone call. He's just like, and walking. Like, he doesn't slink away. He doesn't away. say anything. He just turns and leaves. Like, he's very, just like, very obviously. He just does, like, the peace sign over his shoulder. Like, all right, well, I'm out for the, th- like, for the thing I'm here for. Uh, see you guys later for, like, he, he's skipping the only pretense for him to be in the town. Like, why did his cover story have to be the thing he can't be there for? He could have been, like, a safe fixer or some shit. It'd be one thing if he was like, oh, I've got to, uh, get a better angle, or it'd be one thing if he just wasn't right off to the side of stage anyway. Why did he need to be standing there next to Andy and Barney in the first place? I don't know. So we get to the actual, like, safe-cracking, uh, moment. And, by the way, this, this is filmed really cool. This, like, it's almost like, uh, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, or, like, some very classic noir films, because it's, like, him, like, looking at the safe and, like, analyzing stuff, and the music is playing, like, I'm playing the music after this, it's really cool. It's one of the more cinematic sequences I've yeah. seen on television. This is something we, that we had in the 50s and 60s, I was just watching The Twilight Zone, uh, this is something we had in the 50s and 60s, and we kind of lost in the 70s and 80s, is that, like, cinematic television, making TV looking like, look like movies. Uh, yeah. If you took just those, like, 20 seconds out of context, uh, you would not be able to tell me that it was from the Andy Griffith show. Uh, so he cracks the safe, he opens it, he can see all the drawers of, assumingly, cash before then, and he walks in, and then we do the zoom out to reveal that Andy's sitting there waiting for him. It's really, like, this scene is the point of the episode. They just wanted to do this cool thing. And then kind of reversed engineered an episode around it. He says, hey, you've done in 15 minutes what we've been trying to do for 15 years. We uh, we lost the combination to that vault and the uh, the company that had it went out of, out of business. So we just thought there was never going to be a vault again. Which makes me wonder, where <laughs> is all of the money in Mayberry? Where, where do they keep their stuff? Is it in the vault still? Well, he says that they installed a back door because the vault was broken. So either there's either a two possibilities. They have a second place that's not a vault to keep all the money or B, they are keeping the money in the vault. Um, there's just a fucking back door to it in either version. How the fuck is anyone giving their money to the bank and feeling at all okay about that? Let's go ahead and talk about the fact that our safe cracker, like, cased the bank, but apparently didn't think to go behind the building at any point. Did it check for a fucking door? I mean, to be fair, a back door to a vault is not a thing you would think to check for, but I feel like if I was cased in a bank, maybe I'd look at all sides of the bank. Just maybe. Admittedly, I'm not a criminal, but if I'm robbing anything, I'm going, and I have any time to plan it, I'm going to look at that thing I'm robbing so much, because mostly just out of anxiety, I would be staring at the entirety of the building, just be, like, I would look at the entirety of it, because I would be possessed by the fear that the, like, the hat, the part I didn't look to was just made out of cops. Like, I, if I didn't look at the back of a bank, I would be possessed by the fear that the back wall was just, like, cops stacked on top of each other. So, I do not understand this. Andy says that he got in there through the back door. But it doesn't answer the question of, how the fuck did Andy get in the back door? Does Andy have a key to the bank as well? <laughs> like- he just- he crowbarred it like it would have been great if he had just pointed at the door and it had been like smashed in <laughs> literally <laughs> broken the door for his cool moment literally no explanation for andy being there is good enough yeah. they were so drunk writing this <laughs> It was, this was, this episode make, I I called this episode a banger up top. This episode sucks. I went into like this recording session really liking this episode. And the more I talk about it, the dumber this is, the more I hate it. (laughs) 
the more you if you have to think about it for more than like the exact amount of time the episode lasts you realize this is incredibly fucking stupid this makes no goddamn sense I watched this three times. Yeah. I spent 90 minutes of my life on this episode. (laughs) And we just now realized that this is the dumbest shit ever. This makes no, no behavior of any of this makes any goddamn sense. And in fact, no, like there's no, like how did Andy get there before him? Like there, there's like some fast travel nonsense happening as well. (laughs) No, this episode makes sense. So, uh, so the next scene, we're back at the jail. Barney's sad that, like, his whole medal ceremony was a hoax. And, all right, hey, folks, remember that stupid bit I told you to remember earlier about ten minutes ago? Well, here it comes. Andy comforts him by saying, hey, man, if you were in my shoes, you would have figured it out just as well. And Barney's like, really? And he says, yeah, you know just as well as I do that FBI agents don't let their pictures be taken. Which... Maybe, I guess? I mean, it would make sense. That That's one of those things that might not be true, but if you say it with enough confidence, like a Ripley's Believe It or Not thing, I'll be like, yeah, that's probably true, whatever, I won't think too hard about it. Okay, so, so yeah. we should have Googled this before the episode, and I'm going to Google it right now real quick. You can edit out the time it takes me to do that. I, 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 I mean, I feel like at least that's not currently true. Uh, FBI agents can't be photographed. I, yeah, there's absolutely nothing about that. There's no, I can't find any shit about how FBI agents can't be photographed. I feel like that's just a thing that the Andy Griffith show said with enough confidence that we all just kind of go like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it sounds right. Yep, that's fine, whatever. Anyway, so that whole thing that did not need to happen is what tipped Andy off to the the hoax. Mm. That, that was the thing that tipped him off. Nothing else. Yeah. Not not any of the other weird, stupid shit that the thieves were doing. Just that one... Like, if they hadn't done that one specific very stupid thing, they he would have never caught it. So then, finally, uh, Floyd brings in another tour, and this time, the reveal is, Well, we've got stuff to show you. Here are two criminals we picked up trying to rob a bank just last night. And our two criminals are in the two jail cells. Yeah. That roll on snare drum. The the, the stinger for this, yeah, is the stinger the folk for this. Song. Yeah, all right, we we need to go back because we skipped a scene earlier. Uh, we forgot about it. So remember how Barney was complaining about folk songs and he didn't want to hear anymore. Well, Barney runs into this is the scene that we skipped. Barney runs into the jail and he says, "Hey, Andy, we did it! We did it! Somebody wrote a folk song about us." Yeah, uh, and it's like to the tune of Frankie and Johnny. Andy's not having any of this. Andy's like, this is stupid. Why did anyone write this? And Barney's, of course, like, no, check it out. It's like, uh, Barney and Andy were lawmen. Fastest you ever did see. They shot Al Capone and he was all alone. These are the lyrics to me. It's, it's, he says, uh, he says, like, Dillinger came into town. Uh, who's that, <laughs> like, Pretty Frank or something? Pretty Boy Floyd came a writing. Yeah. Uh, Dillinger. Came along Dillinger too. They weren't alone. There was Al Capone. Uh, something about Mac the Knife or whatever. Anyway, Andy says something like, Barney, whoever wrote this wrote it for a joke. And Barney says, I did not. <laughs> it's, yeah. So he's writing folk songs about himself. It's, again, I know it's a joke, but it's such alarming behavior. Like, I, it's hard getting this mad about the behavior of a a character on a comedy show because like yeah of course they're gonna do stupid bullshit but it's such like evocatively stupid bullshit like it strikes deep every time it just makes me so mad i I can tell though that the writer's room in their drunken stupor had fun writing Mm. this this parody song yeah all right so our stinger is barney sitting at a typewriter and he's he's writing a, a song to himself it's something like Oh, my darling. Oh, my Barney. Dad, I dicky Barney Fife. He's like singing, like writing a song about himself being awesome. Yeah. Um, but it, it's all him killing people so much. Yeah. Because he, he, yeah. he's not like, he, the first song wasn't about like, oh, they arrested Al Capone. 
it's like they shot Al Capone in the fucking neck. Like this song yeah. is like Dillinger and Pretty Boy Floyd and Al Capone came into town and we fucking killed those guys. We killed them. They're dead. So it's the most like weirdly easy to prove wrong lie that he's doing. And it's not like, again, it. I mean, I mean, again, I mean, I'll give Barney this. That's how folk songs kind of work, really. Listen, uh, John Henry actually built that fucking railroad. How dare you? Oh, yeah, he he beat the shit out of that machine in that hammering competition. Yeah. So Andy, like, sneaks up on Barney, who is writing these lyrics to himself, and he jumps in and sings, Oh, my Barney, oh, my Barney, had a jail and couldn't lock it, had one bullet for his pistol, had to keep it in his pocket, and that's it. Like, Barney gets mad, he, like, slams his typewriter down, and eh, roll on snare drum. That's the fucking scene. That's that's Mayberry, crime-free Mayberry, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ. Oh Ratings. my god, I liked this episode so much when we started, and it's a three. It's like a three. The writing <laughs> makes no fucking sense. It's so shitty. It's the worst heist ever put to, to ever put to screen. Oh god. I don't, it, it, I don't, I don't need in the hour and change that we've been talking, it went from like an eight or a nine to like a four. And I don't understand how this happened. And all of those points are Otis. Like, that's it. It's just him. The episode sucks so bad. The right, like, we just kind of slowly realized how sloppy this writing is. And I think it just kind of washed over us because we've been lulled into the stupor of people who watched this in the 1960s. Or just like moments of this show just sort of like wash over your brain. This was not meant to be discussed at length. No, uh-huh. this was not meant to be thought about more than two seconds after the episode was over. Uh, Christ, uh, fuck. And then uh, reprehensibility. I can't even put I mean, a fucking score to it, really. Because like, again, it's all... I'm I'm simultaneously numb and extremely raw to the shittiness of Barney Fife. It's just it's just Barney being gross, right? It's just more like gross, like weird manhood stuff around Barney. I I, I feel like uh, at this point we we have to we we we're going to keep doing the show, and I have to keep talking about the shittiness of Barney Fife, and and like scoring it. And I feel like I'm having kind of an existential crisis because I don't have anything left to say about how shitty Barney Fife is, but I must. The, the problem is I don't know what the floor and ceiling ratio is, right? Like, I don't know what the bare minimum of, of Barney Five shittiness is, but I feel like there is no maximum. I I must describe how much of a piece of shit Barney Fife is, but it feels weird to talk this much shit on a fictional character, and I don't, like, like, I and and I, I feel like I'm supposed to be laughing at him, and it, 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 like I'm starting to feel like I'm taking a, a a joke too seriously, kind of. It's driving. I mean that that's that's precisely what we do on this show, Dan. That's exactly the premise of our show: breaking Mayberry, taking a joke too. But seriously. the joke isn't funny, <laughs> or at least maybe it maybe it would be funny if I hadn't been watching the Andy Griffith show this much. So I don't know. I'm I guess. The can I can I take a mulligan on this FIFO meter because I'm broken? You know what? That's fine with me. I don't want to do the FIFO meter for this one either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the all my right. number on the FIFO meter is bleeding out slowly. <laughs> I'm dying. Please help. Shrug emoji. Yeah. That's mine. <laughs> that, I'm rating that one. Shrug emoji. Uh, mine is a signal flare calling for help. Please, someone get me. <laughs> Uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, man, that's it for this episode. Uh, again, don't forget that you can check us out, uh, online. We are at Twitter, uh, at Break Mayberry, uh, on Facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Uh, you can tweet at us. I am at Schneid Remarks. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds, two Ds. Oh, wait, shit. Marty, do you want me to do the closer? Do you want me to re-record the closer? In my, in no, my we're good. We're voice. good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> That's Breaking Mayberry. You can find us at Breaking Mayberry. Oh, or, yeah. No, you sure?
I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine with All right, it. I can do it. Good. I'm waiting on the wings. Put me in, coach. Oh, God damn. So much of this show is just me antagonizing you. Uh, if you want to give us money for this, for whatever reason, uh, we are uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Uh, I just put some new bonus content up from the last episode today. So there's some good stuff on there. Uh, bonus episodes. You can vote on things. You can make us watch whatever you want. Uh, patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Yeah. So- if you're in Philadelphia, don't f- we'll, have, we'll have all the information down below. But you can see us live Sunday, January 27th at South Street Cinema in Philadelphia. Uh, our music, our opening music is done by Max Ludwig at Sleep Talkie on, uh, Twitter. Uh, our logo was designed by Emily Christina, who is at Scribble Emily on Instagram. Uh, the music you're about to hear is, uh, Appalachian Mountains by the band, uh, Ask Again. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much it for us. Uh, we'll talk to you all again. You, I think I, fuck. <laughs> Dan, go ahead. You can do it. We'll catch y'all down at the fishing hole. Once, let me let me let me take another pass at it. What, what kind of what way should I do it, Marty? Uh, I hate you. We'll ca- I fucking hate you. We'll catch y'all down at the fishing hole. I'm 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 hitting stop now. We'll catch y'all down at the fishing hole.